Thank you, John. You might just want to have a Bible open in front of you. There's a whole bunch in the back of the pews. And we are in Romans 8. We are 18 to 25. You might have noticed a rather odd word in the middle of that, which I think is the word decay. And if we thought of some synonyms, we'd end up with words like rotting. And I wonder what comes to mind if you are thinking of those sort of words, decay and rotting. Uh, When I think of that, it kind of reminds me of our garden and the bits that I haven't done anything with. The apples that fell in the autumn that are just still there. You might think of your compost heap. You might think of fungus. You might think of something else. For some of you, it's not a visual thing. It's a smell. And you think back to the last time that perhaps you smelt something that was rotting or decaying or unpleasant. The Bible teaches us that we have three levels of decay that are going on in the world. One of which we particularly see in this passage but there are two more. The decay in the world or the rot can be seen in three main places. The first place is within us. And if you turn back briefly to chapter 7, you would see what Paul has been talking about there. He writes of the behaviours that he wished he could stop doing, but that he still continues to do. Perhaps like me, when you became a Christian, some things that you loved to do that you knew were wrong just went And overnight, you found you didn't want to do them anymore. And then there are other things that are the things that we battle with in an ongoing way. And I know there's stuff in my life, as there probably is in yours, which you think, I just need to keep a watchful eye on that because it keeps coming back. I keep wanting to do that thing that I know that I shouldn't do. Someone said to me a little while ago about the things that they were doing, and they said, but the heart wants what the heart wants. And I think my heart wants things it shouldn't do, and so I have to train it. So very much the first place that we see rot is within us. And the same battle, of course, wages in everybody on the planet. For some who are Christians, perhaps like many of us, we know that the Holy Spirit helps us, that he's at work in our lives, helping to change us helping us to become the people that we're called to be, helping us to become more like Jesus. For people yet to become Christians, they don't have that help. And so there's that battle, but not perhaps as much strength to fight it and certainly not the direction to know what life should look like. In both groups, though, we can see on a small scale selfishness and greed and unkindness and so on. And on a much bigger scale, these lead to war and persecution and so on. And for some people, a lot of this is laid at the devil's uh, kind of doorstep. And some of that's right. And then there's some of it that rightly should be laid at our doorstep. And I think if we're honest in the world, we're not quite sure how much fits into each group. But we absolutely know that much of the evil in the world comes from the need of our hearts to be changed. A couple of years ago, I brought a radio-controlled car for one of our children. I can't say which one, because it cost me a fiver if I mention their names. But I confess that I took it out of the box, and I looked at it, and it was brilliant. And I took it in the garden, and it went really quick. And then I read the instruction manual, and I noticed a switch on the back, a very small switch. And it was the safe mode. And it dropped the power by about 75%. And then I handed it over to them and said, now it's yours to have a go with. 
And for about a month, they spent the time running it into trees and fences and into my feet and my ankles. And I thought, I'm so pleased I put this additional switch on the car and dropped the power so it's running into me much less quickly. If we turn to the Bible, it seems that God often trains us in small ways before he gives people authority and influence. Moses spent time in the wilderness. Abraham did a lot of waiting. Joshua got to watch Moses. The disciples obviously watched Jesus. God seems to be in the habit of preparing people before he's willing to say, now I'll give you a bit more influence and a bit more power and a bit more ability to impact the world. Because, of course, when he puts us in those positions, we have a larger impact for good, but of course it can go wrong in larger ways. I was reflecting this week a little bit on President Putin of Russia and thinking, is his heart so different to other people's hearts? And I thought, probably not. There's probably a lot of people who are quite similar in their hearts, where their hearts have gone wrong and they desire things they shouldn't. The difference, of course, with him is that he has power. And therefore, war and terrorism and famine and so on all come from, at least in part, our hearts not being conformed yet to the heart of Jesus. Ezekiel, again and again in the last 10 weeks, spoke of the need for a change in our hearts. Verse 23 says how we yearn and long for change. We who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. And so for us, as we wait for our hearts to be transformed, we live in that sort of in-between bit, don't we? where we are partly being changed to Jesus, but not completely as yet. I love that picture of adoption. Talking to a few of you who've adopted children, it's, it's such a fascinating um, concept to help us. Because before a child is adopted, you do the agreements, you meet them, you do the paperwork, you perhaps get to meet them where they are, and then eventually the day comes when they come to your house and they become part of your family. And as we look at this verse, we are in that in-between bit, aren't we? Where we are part of God's family, but he's yet to bring us to be where he is all the time. And that's what we long for, isn't it? And I'm sure that's what God longs for too. The point when he can come to be with us completely. So that's firstly, a decay within our hearts And we know many of us that we are still at war with that, longing for the day when Jesus restores us. Secondly, a a decay in our bodies. We seem to be having a lot of people who are sick around us, in our congregation and our community at the moment. Many of us have been to funerals. And as we see sickness in us and in others and death, I think we know it's not how it's meant to be. Even though it's our day-to-day experience, it still doesn't feel quite right. And I think that is a God thing. that He reminds us that isn't as it was meant to be. That too is a rot that we are in bondage to. We can't get away from it at the moment. Finally then, decay in nature. And I find this the hardest one to see. 
I guess because nature, to me, when I look at it, seems beautiful and amazing. And I can't imagine that nature is groaning. But Romans 8 says that it is. The whole of it. Which causes us to wonder, what in the natural world, what's it meant to be like? What's meant to be different to how we see it at the moment? What is the transformation that we will witness when God returns and it will no longer groan? The best that I can imagine is that if you left a garden for a year to get alone, wild and tangled is what you'd end up with. So perhaps when the gardener, which was our role, goes wrong, so the garden is affected too. And so on these three different levels, our world is not as it should be. How long, though, will this be the case? How long will there be rot in humanity, in our bodies and in nature? And the answer, of course, in this passage is not forever. And our passage compares it to a pregnancy. So I wonder if you might just turn to someone near you briefly. One more slide, please. If you were to put them in order of length of pregnancy, what would you guess? You can turn to a friend for help. It's bigger at the back if you can't see it at the front. Do confess I have slightly deliberately tried to lead you astray. Any thoughts? What's the longest one? If you guessed elephant, you'd be wrong. Oh. If you'd guessed the little skink in the corner, you'd be right. So the little black little lizard thing in the corner, three years. Yeah? It's quite long. If you put the next slide up, please, Margaret. The dog one put me off a little bit, two months. That doesn't seem enough time to get ready for all of that sort of thing. But the reason I flag this up to you is because I just want you to imagine for a second. Imagine that you walked into a hospital and you went through the hospital and you found the maternity ward. But by some ill chance, you never walked in there and met a baby. But you only walked in there in labour. You'd think... This is such a weird ward. What on earth is going on here? There seem to be people in pain and discomfort, but there's nothing coming, there's nothing happening. What's the end result of this? And I think when we turn to Romans 8, that's one of the main messages for us as Christians that we know that this horrible bit where there's good stuff and bad stuff will end and it will be remade. I led a funeral a little while ago, and this was one of the themes I tried to bring out, that there will be a day when Jesus will come back, and it won't be like this anymore. And someone came up to me at the end and said, do you really believe that? Is that what Christians really believe? And I think it's because Romans 8 kind of flags up to us, for everyone else in the world, it's like they're living in the maternity ward, but babies never come. They're not aware it's a temporary thing, it seems like a permanent thing. But for us as Christians, we experience this in a different way. Because although we're in this kind of period where death and suffering and war and so on is all there, we know that there will be hope. 
And in fact, when we turn to the passage, it says, doesn't it, that God subjected all that he had made in hope. That he has a plan and a purpose. Now, I don't think that everything happens for a reason. I think that's nonsense. I don't believe that God takes people at the time that, you know, that's their allotted time, because I don't believe that God causes war or car accidents or whatever. We need to wrestle with that a little bit, don't we? That balance of God's control and free will. But I don't think that's who our God is. At the same time, he is the one who is using everything for the good of those who love him. And so he is the one who tells us there is a sure and certain hope. I will come back and the pregnancy will end and there will be goodness that comes at the end of it. There will be liberation from our bodies. No more old age. No more when you get down making those creaking noises and the same when you get up. I started making those when I hit 40. Apparently some of you beat me to it. There will be no more death. I look forward to the end of Alzheimer's and dementia. They are such horrible illnesses and there will be an end to those. There will be no more cancer. There will be no more times when we have to fight those desires within us to do wrong stuff. And there will be no more times we have to live with when other people have failed to do that in their own lives. And that's really what war is, isn't it? For the whole world will be remade. The whole of creation. Revelation 21 has this amazing verse in it. Behold, I am making all things new, or I am renewing all things. I know that I need to be renewed. And perhaps you know the same for yourself too. And so that's why our passage ends re-emphasising the people who it's easiest to wait are the people who know it's a pregnancy and not forever. It's us. We know that God is going to come back. We know because the spirit is in our hearts that we've already had the down payment. It's like the adoption papers have been signed. The visits have happened. But we're yet to be brought together with God forever in person. But that's what we hope for, isn't it? And that hope will not disappoint us. So as we remember those who have died in the war, as we remember those still suffering because of the war, let's be grateful, remembering it won't always be this way. We know that a baby comes after a pregnancy. And so we can endure the sufferings around us and be a people of hope, even in the darkness. Knowing the present sufferings are, as Paul writes, not compared, not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us when Jesus comes back. Adoption paper signed and says, live with me. So let's just take a moment to be still and ask God to remind us of that truth, that we live in the pregnancy, but he will come to be with us and this will end.
Father, for those of us who are walking through pain and suffering, when it is hard to keep our eyes on you, remind us that you are good. Remind us that all that is wrong in this world and in us will end. Remind us that you are the God of hope. Lord, we pray that you would help us to be a people of hope in our communities. Not people who deny the difficulties and suffering around the world, but people who can look at it and say, but the God who stepped down into the middle of suffering is also the God who will come back at the end and put it all right and remake us all. So Lord, spark in us again a hope that cannot be extinguished or dimmed. Draw us near to yourself again, we pray. Amen.